This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Every client wants to know what their project is going to cost and who's going to build it. That means sending the drawings out and getting contractors involved. Let's get ready to rumble because the construction bid process is today's topic. Today's episode is brought to you and supported by Pella. Hi everyone, I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we are talking about the construction bid process, or what I like to call to my close friends and confidants, the CBP. (laughs) Nice. For those of you who might not know, a construction bid is the process in which the contractor takes drawings and specifications as prepared by the architect and their consultants, reviews them for materials and quantities and locations and all that good stuff, and submits a price in which to undertake the scope of work as defined within those construction documents. This should sound all pretty normal, I think. Yeah. Because this is what happens when any professional scope of service is engaged. I tell you what I want. You tell me what it's going to take for you to give it to me. And then I either agree or disagree to pay that price to get that service. Yeah, standard stuff. Standard stuff. In the construction world, it basically works the exact same way, but There are some nuances and subtleties that I thought would be, I'll say, fun to discuss. Interesting, for sure. Yes. Let's get into it and start by discussing how the projects are bid. And I'm going to start by stating that there is a difference between how public and private projects are bid, but the basics are the same, and there's a lot less formality and procedures involved when residential projects are being bid. So, Andrew, let's take some time and go step-by-step through the process. Yeah, I think that's the easiest thing to do is kind of break it down. Okay, so let's step one. The construction documents are completed by your architect and their consultants and everything gets finished. It's wrapped up in a big, nice big package that gets disseminated to all the right people, I guess. It depends on the bid process, but gets sent out for people to review. So, but when we're talking about the traditional design, draw, bid, build Mm -hmm. sequence, Yeah. Right. So construction drawings in this sense is we've gone through programming and schematic and design development. So these are the drawings that we've now produced along with all the people working on the project to tell somebody what to do, kind of how to do it. And what the materials are, how big everything is, all the sort of scope and qualities of the work of the project that you want to have built. That's right. It's not just drawings. It's the specifications book. Yeah. Which on our projects, when we do commercial work, We write specifications. It's a booklet that kind of says all the different like specifics. Materials and and specific things about them. Yes, I want this brick. It needs to be this big, this hard. And it has this qualities. Yeah. Perform meeting these standard requirements, all that kind of good stuff. It's got a coating on it or whatever, whatever. Yeah. It gets to the very nitty gritty sort of detailed specifications for every material in the project. Ideally. Hopefully. On residential projects, we tend to not do the same sort of specifications. We either do our specifications either built within the drawings, the drawings themselves. Or on the drawings, yeah. Or we do a short form version where it's actually typed out as if it was in a spec book. Yeah, but it's like but four it's, or five pages instead of 400 pages. That's right, kind of thing. it's yeah. within the drawing set. It's yeah. not a separate booklet. Okay, so once we have all the drawings collected, we are going to go into step two, which means we're going to advertise the project to be bid. And there's a couple of different ways that that can be done, too, because you can do invitation to bid, meaning you go out and you select the people you want to have look at the project. 
the contractor said it, that you want. Yeah, that usually it's a combination of people that you know good work or people that your architect has said does good work or you know a family friend or something in Ugh. some strange cases. Yeah, right. But <laughs> typically a group of people that are on the same level, they're on the same playing field. Well, let me ask you this. On your jobs, does the owner ever say, I want these people? Because normally we're responsible for finding the contractors. I think sometimes, I think it depends, but granted the clarification on this too is that it's only, this is typically only for private work. For public work, you can't typically invite just a certain number of people. Sure. Yeah. So if we make the distinction, there's public work, which is like schools and other projects that city buildings, anything that the public is funding. So if your taxes pay for it in some way, shape or form, then it's a public project. And there's a lot of rules that go along with that for the bidding process. So we're not in this in this instance, we're not talking about that because that means everybody gets to bid on it. Whoever wants to bid on it can bid on it. The invitation to bid is something that in my office, we pick those contractors like we vet them. Either we already have a relationship with them. Yeah. And sometimes the owner may bring a contractor to the table. Yeah. Typically, it's maybe one or two. But we we still have to we vet them. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes if they're just adamant about it, well, you can say, OK, and in your mind, you know that they're not going to get the job or be right for the job but you kind of let them go through the process yeah maybe this is a bit of a rabbit hole but in our office and this is not as true as it used to be it seems like the sphere of people i work with seems to be getting tighter and tighter in some regards but it used to be at least on residential projects we had a small army of people that we could would call to because they were specific to well is it a new house or is it an existing house is it a renovation are they going to live in the house when the gotcha. yeah is it a modern house is it a, you know is it a traditional, traditional house, house yeah. so when we vetted these people a lot of and we also would say this is like an a level contractor is a b level contractor c level one is the a level is the guy who like anticipates all the holes in the drawings he's a high enough caliber contractor where he'll say well, this thing and this thing are at this gold-plated standard of product. So this third thing that I don't know what it is, I'm going to plug something in that's at, at the, the similar same, value. Yeah, gold-level standard, not I'm right. going to put in our sawdust toilet from last week. But then we have B and we have C. And, and sure. part of that has to do with the value for what they're providing. So the A guys, in my mind, they're great at what they do. And that doesn't mean that the C-level guys are not great. It could be that they're a low-cost provider, and they're great at performing that role and that capacity. Because we have projects to where the people we work with may not be able to value paying extra for the superior product, so they don't see the, they don't see value in it. Again, it's sort of like you're saying, sort of A, B, and C, that the, the ones that you have in those categories all do good work. They just do good work at that sort of level of That's right. quality and service, right? So it doesn't mean... Yeah, it's like saying I have three different cars. One's an A-level car, and that's my Ferrari, and one's a B-level car, and that's my my Ford Excursion or whatever. Yeah. And then my C-level car is the Yugo that blew up in my driveway 12 years ago or something. (laughs) That's a terrible example. Yeah, that's not really really not great. Well, we're not saying that the C guys. Anyway, this is a rabbit hole that's probably going to get cut out. But the idea is that when we select somebody for our projects, we try to identify people at the same caliber of execution. Yeah, the, and, and I don't want to have an A guy bidding against a C guy because I know that the C guy, without even going through the exercise, is going to cost less money. Yeah, exactly. so it, does, it doesn't provide much value to me. Yeah, yeah, to align to misalign people like that. Sure, but we're talking about public projects in this capacity, and so we either do like an invitation to bid, which means I still go find the contractors, or we do an open bid, which means the drawings just go out there, and anybody and everybody can anybody and everybody. 
And I'll tell you, I'm not a big fan. I've had to do a couple of bond-related projects, did a couple fire stations, and we had to work with, you know, the open bid process. But the way that we kind of, to try to help qualify the people we were working with as part of our submissions package, because we're trying to find the best value, right? Yeah. Not necessarily just the cheapest price, but trying sure. the best value. So we might ask questions, and let's, let's use the fire station as an example. It would say, how many fire stations have you built before? Sure. Right. So that I can at least say, I'm going to separate the guys that have some knowledge with this building type versus the people that don't have knowledge with this building type. And I might even go to someone to say, how many projects have you done with this municipality? So that they know like how the system, system works. works and how the city works and that kind of whole process. Yeah. And then I can even go one step further and go, how many fire stations for this municipality yeah. have you done before? Sure. So if we start looking at how we evaluate people, we can say, well, your bid might be 50%. 25% might be this kind of question system that we've weighted, you yeah. know, the types of questions that we say, we're qualifying you as doing this particular job in this particular area at this particular time. And then we'll have a third version that basically just allows us to say, you know, the last 20, the last 25% might be the interview process. Like we bring the people in and we try to work through the process with this low bidder. Sure. That's part of it. So when we have those open bids, we qualify. We try to qualify. As best you can. In the paperwork ahead of time. But when you do the invite to bid, invitation to bid, we do all that pre-vetting work. Before, yeah, before they even get to submit a bid. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about, let's go to step three. Step three is the question and answer process. Yeah. So we've put the drawings out there. Right. And the documents, specifications, and in either process, whether it's an open or an invitation bid, there's a time period where the contractors can look over the drawings, the subcontractors can look over the drawings, and they can ask us, the architects and the engineers and consultants, questions to clarify any misunderstandings in the drawings. Sure. Because nobody's perfect. We don't make a perfect set of drawings. It just doesn't happen. Well, there's all, they're always evolving, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, and the idea of allowing them to ask questions, the way that we handle it ourselves is we identify a certain amount of time after the drawings have been issued that all questions are due. Yes. And then once those questions come in, now we'll answer them. Let's say that contractor one sends me a question on day two. I mean, I'll answer that question right away. To yes, him. to him. But I, I'll log it. You have to keep track of it. I'll keep track sure. of all yeah. the questions. All, when I say questions are due by this time, that's the last point in which you can ask questions. And then once we respond to all of them, then everybody gets those answers. The same answers, yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny the the last day to ask questions doesn't always work. I find at least on my very like full public projects, it's like here's the last day, and people will be calling after that, and you have to go. I can't answer the question, which sounds kind of stupid, but it's not fair because yeah, if, I know. if you it give them an stupid. answer yeah. and you can't distribute that to everyone else, they've got some advantage. Is what is really what it amounts to, right? That they know a little bit more than somebody else, and then therefore makes the playing field uneven, which clearly. You want to avoid. Yeah. So. For public work, for sure. Does it, does that time period. See, I found that it has worked really well, but, and I have this earmarked for later in the conversation, but we typically, when we've been doing these competitive bids, have been allowing four weeks for the bid process, which I can tell you when I got out of school and we started to do this 25 years ago, the bid process was typically two weeks. That's mm. what they got was two weeks. And now it's up to four. Yeah. Most of my state and city work, it's um, 
I think by law in Texas, it's a minimum of 21 days. Yeah. For their opening, like bid sure. process time. So, but I think longer is somewhat better, but that's that there's sort of a happy medium in there, I think, because if it's too long, nobody cares. But if it's too short, you're going to get bad numbers. And so, well, what we did is we identified and we said, okay, it's a four week process. So week one drawings go out, everybody looks at it. They have time to distribute the files to the different subcontractors that they want to have bid the process. And internally that contractors had time to look through the drawings, formulate questions, identify areas where there's clarity needed or some confusion in the way that they've interpreted what we're asking for. Yeah. Week two is when we say is the last week for you to ask questions. At the end of week two, you got to yeah. all your Friday, five o'clock. They got to be in. Yeah. Got to give me all your questions. Well, then. Week three is when we distribute all the answers to everybody, to all the questions that everybody has asked, Mm -hmm. is in week three. And week four is when the bids are due. And the idea is that they have one week to consolidate or to react to any answers to the questions that came in from somebody else that they weren't aware of. Yeah. So that's that's what we go. That's the four-week process. And since we're kind of so far into it, I'll just wrap it up. So week five is what we use to qualify those bids. So that's when, and this is something we, this might be getting in the weeds a bit, but I send out bid forms. Let me tell you, this drives me crazy. You want to know what drives me crazy? Let me hear it, man. I'm going to tell you. All right. Let me hear it. I will take the time to put together a bid sheet. Oh, like Yeah, form. Yeah. And yeah. I go, this is how I want your numbers yeah, broken Fill up. out this, it's like a fill in the blank Here sheet it is. practically. Yeah. Yeah. And not only do I get, they get a PDF copy of it, I send them the native file. And like Excel. Yeah. It's already got all my formulas in it. Everything's in there. Just put it in there. Just fill it out the way I ask. Can I tell you that almost every single time they will not follow that or they'll slightly change it or they'll add a line in there somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. They're going to do some other thing. You can't just do it. Right. They can't just do what we asked. Right. And they don't ask during the question period. Hey, what about fire sprinkler systems? You didn't include a line for that. And I could say, oh, yeah, you're right. Or no, it's here. You know, kind of thing. So no one ever asks that question. Most of the time, they don't use it. So of that week five, when I say I'm qualifying, half of it is saying, trying to sort it out, fill out my form yeah. the way I asked, and I wouldn't have to ask you all these crazy questions. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes, and this is the really, it makes you want to drop punt somebody. <laughs> is, and this happened on on the last bill we did. We sent it back out. We said you really need to use our form. That's why we sent it. There's a purpose. There's a reason why I sent it to you. You know, which in my head, I'm going, all right, X for communication skills yeah, already right. right out of the gate. Yeah. And then they'll send it. And then what they'll do is they'll say included. Like when the, if I say like <laughs> window material and window labor, say that's two things I wanted broken out. They'll give me a window product like a price, material. Yeah. Give me a price. And on the label, they'll say included. included. Yeah, in the price above. And right, I go, yeah. that re- defeats my purpose here of what I'm trying to get. Accomplish, yeah. And the thing that I don't understand is maybe these contractors don't realize I don't they have to they have to understand this is do they not realize that this is really me trying to look out for them because if they send in a bid let's say I get three guys that bid it and I'm just going to pick doors and I have a hundred thousand dollar from bid for doors from contractor one hundred and two thousand dollar bid from contractor two for doors thirty seven thousand dollar bid for doors for contractor three yeah I'm going to call contractor three. I'm going to say, you might want to take a closer look at your doors. Let's chat about that. What'd you, what'd you include? What did you price? Cause your number is wildly different, different than someone else's. And if for they sure. don't break out the, the numbers, the way we asked, I can't help them catch these mistakes. 
you might want to make sure that you didn't accidentally forget that there's three more stories of building here and you forgot 80 doors. It's something like that. And all of a sudden... Something that made your bid so Yeah, low. and now yeah. you're $60,000. You got to find somewhere else. And we're going to play this cat and mouse game throughout the whole project on where can you like whittle $60,000 to Out cover of everything this hole. Else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that drives me bonkers. So if you're a contractor listening to this, there's a reason why we include these forms. And it's not because we don't like your system. And I'll tell people, you can send it to me however you want in your own stuff, as long as you include it in the way that I asked for it. Our goal is to kind of keep it in check in the sense of to get, make sure that everything's there so that before we get started, there's not something missing or we haven't overlooked something. And it's the same reason I think that we ask you to look at our drawings and send us questions because maybe we overlook something. There's a check and balance in this whole thing to help keep it together and make a good project in the end. Which ultimately, isn't that everybody's goal? It should be. It, it should, should be. be. Well, I think it really is. I don't think there's the person walking this plant that doesn't do what we do or as a contractor, or as a developer, or as an owner, that wouldn't say, my objective is that we have a positive experience with building this project. I would agree. And I think sometimes the, I guess my beef on it is, it's not always a cooperative feeling of that. Sometimes it's like me as a somebody, consultant or contractor or whoever, it's more important that I'm making them happy. And I don't care if I throw you under the bus that you're not making them happy, but I am. Sure. As you long know, as a, you're the hero. Yeah. All right. And sometimes that's what that's what gets on my nerves because that's not the way I want to play the game. I want everybody to be all. Yeah. The goal is how can we get everyone on the same side of the table? So let's move on to step four, which is reception of bids. It's where we have it kind of identified. Yeah. So we've at this point, it's been three or four weeks and all of the contractors have had a chance to look at the drawings, look at the documents. And now they're sending us their numbers, their bids on hopefully the forms that we provided, but maybe not. Right. And so now we're receiving them, and that's kind of when that process starts to check over things. We just had the same project bid twice. So it was a shell building package, which we had bid, because we were trying to streamline the process. Speed it up, yeah. And then we had an interior build-out package that was priced out. It's private work, you know, private development. Mm -hmm. So the bids weren't like sealed. And in the case of the the first bid for the shell building, when all the bids came in, you know, if they were late five minutes, it's fine. It was okay. Sure. You know, it's, we're not going to kick it out the door. And the truth is, is we found stuff that people had missed for the, the entirety of the next week as we're going through it. So they're con the bids numbers are constantly changing. So I don't feel too like, oh my God, if you don't get it in on time, sorry, you got to kick it out. But that is true. That's in, public work though, for sure. Yeah. If you miss it, if it's Serious 2 o'clock, it's 2 o'clock. If you're there at 2 o'clock and 30 seconds, you're out, right? Can you imagine? Yeah, I do imagine. Has, that hap has it happened to you with regularity? Yeah. yeah. It's the same for like submitting for work because we go after public work via SOQs and stuff. And if you're a minute late turning in your requirements, they just drop it off in the trash or they let you take it back. That's crazy. Yeah. I so. mean, I, I get why it is. Yeah, I mean, they have to be that way, and it's it's fine. And again, it's one of those things to me that sort of sets the precedent, though, of, right? Like, if you can't do this very first thing on time and in the manner it's supposed to be done, well, strike against you, I guess. But it's pretty hardcore. It is pretty hardcore. Even worse, in, like, the public realm, if you fill out their form wrong, they will they can chunk you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I can do that, too. Hardcore. I can do whatever I want. I know, but you don't have to, but, like, they can. I mean, they're almost required to. Yeah. I've been in a couple where they... 
somebody forgot to sign bid surety form or something or you know it's very it's like the very last thing dude they got kicked for a public project more from life of an architect in just a moment Andrew, as architects, we spend a lot of time on job sites, don't we? Yeah, the good ones sure do. Have you ever seen anything that you weren't expecting when you're on a job site? Like a lion tamer or like a meteorite? Uh, I can't say I ever have. <laughs> what about spray-on truck bed liner? Well, yeah, in the back of every pickup truck on the job site. No, no, I mean truck bed liner as a building material. That's what the team at Pella came up with to solve a unique challenge another architect brought to him. Of course, this architect wanted super large windows and was working with Pella to make it happen. Pella needed a way to prevent condensation while maximizing the amount of glass and minimizing the mullion profile. After utilizing thermal modeling and conductance testing, Pella's architectural engineers concluded that a coat of truck bed liner applied to the extrusion would solve that problem. That's what differentiates Pella from its competitors, innovation. And the innovation at Pella extends beyond the products and tools and services they provide to architects. From their new architectural design manual that uses augmented reality to the team of architects and engineers whose only job is to help architects achieve their design intent. Complex projects require more than custom products. The Pella Architectural Solutions team works as an extension of your design team, providing custom services for the building envelope. Pella's focus on innovation has produced another winner. And it's a great example of the way they think about their products. Inspired design, exceptional detail. Check them out at Pella.com. So the information gets submitted. You get an envelope. It's normally it's sealed. And the process then goes, all right, thanks, everybody. Everybody leaves. Or, or do they say, no, no actually, we're going to do a public reading? In public, in public projects, they do a reading. So they'll open up each envelope and they'll go, yes, they sign this page. Yes, they've acknowledged the addenda. They do. A, it's like an old 18th century. Yes, hear ye, hear ye. Hear ye, hear ye. Greatest lords of the town of such and such. Contractor McQueen offers a bid of $2,458 million. Shillings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, no, they do that. For the public projects, I mean, they're required by law to have to do that. How much of it do they read, though? Do they just read the final number or do yeah, they read I mean, all the qualifications? No, no, it like, just depends what it is, right? I mean, typically they don't read... they. They verify that they've signed some form that they typically have to sign, and then they'll read typically the bid number. So if the basic bid is three million dollars. Alternate one is you know two point two million dollars. Alternate three is three hundred thousand dollars. They'll read all those, and that's it. Yeah. And they'll say okay. you know they say they've acknowledged all the addenda. Sometimes if they have requirements for bidder's insurance or you know some other kind of insurance thing, they'll say oh, they've made those requirements. Right. And, and then they, and so when you know or when when you and do leave, people sit around and like they go, dang it, Miller Construction yeah, beat us again by $3,000. In public work where there's a lot of alternates, it gets kind of hairy. Yeah, okay, so let me ask you this. At some point, do they re-release like a final standings? Like once you go through and vet all the numbers, does that adjusted number ever become part of the public domain? And since they read like what the values are at the very beginning. And you're like, oh, you, because that happened to us. On one of the projects we did, when I first started my last job, I walked in, they're like, here's this project we're doing. It's done. The CDs are wrapping up right now. You're going to, man. I mean, I didn't, I had nothing to do with the drawings. Yeah. I didn't have nothing to do with the project. And. You're going to construction manage this project? Yeah. And I had to be the, from the architect side, I was. The CA. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my and gosh. what, yeah. And here's, so here's what it was. It was for a, a big community center. And everyone was really busy, 
And the city also wanted to do this planning and develop and this addition to their planning and development building. Mm-hmm. And so they made it the two contingent. Like you couldn't do the choice one without the other. Super nice rec center without doing this kind of little dinky work a day addition to the planning department building. Yeah. Well, the contractor that ended up getting the job missed the four hundred thousand dollar addition to the planning building. Oh. That hurts. Ouch. Yeah. And so we spent the next two years trying to make that money up with this game of them trying to nickel and dime everything. Yeah. I mean, it was a nightmare of a project. But the thing that stuck out is like that they were like, oh, they're low by shocking $400,000. Yeah. Right. You know, and it was never kind of entered back into the public domain that no, that bid was not really what it was read to be in public forum. Three weeks or four weeks ago, these are now the, the correct numbers. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that ever really happens because at that point they're like, I don't care anymore. Yeah, I mean, if you if they got a contract, maybe if you were the number two, the second low guy, maybe you care because I guess the premise there is if these are all qualified bids, low low guy gets it. But that's the thing, right? Is that somewhere in that process as you're talking about, somebody kind of dropped the ball without going, "Hey, do you have all these things?" And do you well, have the other well, addition to the other building? Uh, right. And really, that, well, we're kind of talking about what step five is, which is the evaluation and selection of the contractor. It's like yes. Once once we get past the initial numbers. And, being read. And again, like we were talking about, in the public realm, once the bids are there and they've met all the requirements, you kind of don't have an opportunity to disqualify anyone, per sure. se. Right, sure. We had talked about last night was that, in the private world, kind of, if you get a set of five bids, the high one and the low one, you kind of toss both of those and work with the ones in the middle because sure. they're probably more accurate. I mean, unless they're really close. Yeah, the idea is that they're probably clustered together. And typically, there is one that's really high, and then there's one that's really low, and then there's a few that are similar together. But, but, I, ma- a- but I would imagine during this time period, you're able to, even on, on public work, you're able to evaluate bid, how long they said they would do it, and the quality of the people that are submitting the work, right? Like somewhat, somewhat, because a lot we, of times we were though, able to put a scale to it. Like as long as we identified it before everything got sent out, like I said earlier, yeah, we said your bid is fifty percent of, of the determining stuff. factor of who gets selected to build this project. It's not just low cost. Yes, and then we put twenty five percent into this questionnaire and twenty five percent in this other kind of category. Really. Part of the reason we came up with the questionnaire is because we go, this is how we can vet out all the people that we don't, like if we knew there was a contractor or a group of contractors, so we go, these three guys are who we really want to do it, not just the random folks that are mm-hmm. like, I really got a good heart and I want to do my best on this job. Yeah. Not those contractors. So we were able to say, have you ever done a fire station before? Well, all the people we we wanted really were like, well, of course they've done a fire station before. That's why we want them to do it. This yes. is a... Very unique building type. We want someone with experience. Well, that's a really easy way to vet out a bunch of people legally. Yeah, just shrink the pool. If you were of a mind, you could start making that questionnaire so specific as to... Oh, yeah. In theory, you could whittle it down so you knew. That happens in the RFP process for us as well. Of course. You can get it narrowed down to exactly who they want just based off the questions that they're asking for your statement of qualifications that we're supposed to turn in. So they've got like, how many times have you worked with this district and how many of this exact project have you done with this school district and is your office within X number of miles? Of, you know, so they just 
can whittle it down to there's really only one person that can answer all those questions. And it's the person that they really wanted, but yeah. they followed the... The letter of the law the to make it happen. Yeah. yeah. So, and then step six, which is really kind of the last step in this process, just as a descriptor, is the contract negotiations and starting the project. So those are wildly different between public work and private work, but also they're wildly different between residential and other other sectors yeah for sure so for us we tend to take anywhere between one and three weeks on a lot of our projects to get the contract kind of squared away yeah uh interestingly enough the last few we've done have all involved attorneys and i'd say like the last four projects have all involved attorney attorneys and in what in what sense well, they well, I want my attorney to look over the contract. Oh, okay. I don't like that word, and we don't like this phrase. Yeah. So then oh, yeah. they change it, and then it's got to go back to the contractor's attorney, yeah, and then I they gotcha. wordsmith it, and we go through this process back and forth, right? Yeah. Well, it was interesting. So that's been like on the last four or so. I'd say for the previous five years, every pro- didn't involve attorney at all, at all, which I thought was kind of remarkable. Um, I know that our proposals in our office are intentionally wordsmith so that they're easy to understand and the scope of work is clearly defined. Defined, sure. You know, which is actually not that hard because most of our contracts are hourly. It's not, I don't have to define what exact thing I'm doing and for what fee I'm doing it for. It's just I'm providing professional services at this By rate. hour, yeah. Right, so it's a lot easier. That's probably is a much easier contract to deal with than the, when yeah. you've got specific tasks that you have to be completed because if you forget a task, you're kind of hosed. Do you end up using AIA contracts a lot? Yes. Right. So as part of your bid package, you tell everyone this is the contract we're using. Yeah, for public work? Sure. Well, yeah, and even that, it depends It depends on the municipality or whoever it is, school district. They sometimes have all their own stuff. Right? All my city work, they have their own. I don't do anything involved with the contract negotiations because the city has their own forms and their own contracts and their own attorneys and all that stuff and purchasing departments and once it's bid, I kind of say, all right, this looks good. And we do a little bit of evaluation and then they do all the negotiation and I don't do any of it. I'm the exact opposite. I'm almost always heavily involved in that process. Yeah. For for residential stuff or for private work? And for private work too. Like they're like, like one of the ones, they're like, hey, what do you think of this? And I go, I think you need to get an attorney to read it. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but what do you think? So I'm reading it and I'm highlighting going, well, this part kind of jumps out at me or I don't like this. And But again... I'm not an attorney, and you should not be taking legal <laughs> Don't advice hang your hat on from me. me. Yeah, but I, but I still have. I mean, I have enough knowledge that I can bring some. Hey, this is a red flag area. Yeah, but this is this is a little bit of a something that could go sideways if we're not careful. Yeah, yeah. I'm not so much about the wordsmithing of the ands and the these and the ifs, all the pronoun kind of stuff that can get you in trouble. Which is what the attorneys are like excellent at. That's right? what they're they come back and I've got that's all the pronouns, like do. you said. Yeah, all the pronouns are changed, and that's it. So we just talked through, kind of going through all six six of the steps. Just to kind of put them in a nutshell, we had the construction documents are completed, step one. Advertise for that bid, step two. Three was the question and answer process. Step four was receiving of the bids. Five, evaluation and selection. And then last but not least, contract negotiations and start. Yeah, mobilization of the construction team. Yeah, and that whole process for for us historically takes around seven to ten weeks on average. Yeah, from the time that you're a hundred percent complete with your documents till the time that 
the contract for construction is signed and ready to go. Now it might happen. It might happen faster on residential jobs, but we still always have the four week for bidding, one week for qualification of the bid. So we don't do a lot of competitively bid residential projects anymore. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I would imagine almost at all, none. And, and I would imagine part of the reason that is is because of the vast majority of the work that we've been lucky enough to take on is not speculative work. So a client is hiring me to design their house and at the tail end of our design phase services is that we help them find a contractor. Yes. And I I think we've talked about this before, but most of our residential projects now are all cost plus. The clarification here is we still go through the bid process. It may not be a competitive bid, meaning I don't have the drawings going out to a group of contractors. Whole bunch of people, sure. What we do is we'll say, here are four contractors that are all at the right value level for you. So they're all either A's, B's, or C's. So we the right value of provider. And I said, they do the type of work that we're asking them to do, meaning they're good at Quality traditional level, work whatever it is. or yeah, they're yeah. good at contemporary modern work. Sure. Or it's renovation or it's new construction. Like they all, this is what they do. And then we have a meeting and we set it up to where, and I'm happy to be there. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not, but the owner will sit down and meet the different contractors. And they're just talking about like, who are you? What do you like to do? You know, get to know you you kind of thing, right? Get a vibe from the person. Cause in theory, I've already pre-qualified them all as being capable. Yes. And they're all at the same value level, which means I'm not going to have one guy bid a million and one guy build 500,000 and one guy bid 250,000. Yeah. They're all going to be there in the same same kind of ballpark. Yeah. And I would assume also that in this process, these are four contractors or people that you've worked with before and actually like to work with. Yeah. It's the only reason why I know who they are and what they do and where they fall and yeah. where their value lies. So I know all that information. Yeah. Once we have that meeting, once the owner has the ability to meet everybody, they tend to say, I like person A or B or C or D or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then what we'll do is we'll choose that person and then we'll give them the drawings and ask them to bid it. Now, we call this a budget bid, meaning most of our contracts now are done cost plus. Sure. But we have to have the continuation form as part of the pay application. So it might still be broken down into the 45 different categories I might identify. And for each one of those scopes, like we might have a labor for lumber, like lumber, like framing material and framing Framing labor. labor. Sure. I might have those broken down, which on my residential jobs, I always do. And so they'll go out and competitively bid it. So they'll ask three concrete people to bid mm-hmm. it. You know, sure. You know, they're using their guys. It's part of the reason why we know what we're getting is because they tend to have a stable of people they work the with. Crew, yeah, for sure. But we'll get a number from them, and then we'll use that to say, "Hey, homeowner, you had a one point two million dollar budget. This bid came in at one point three. What do you want to do? Do you want us to re-engineer some stuff to find that hundred thousand dollars? Do you want to expand the budget because you don't want to change or modify from what we've got? Yeah. You know, how do we work through this process? And then once that's done, the contractor will adjust his continuation form to reflect the new value, and he'll write a contract based on that amount. But when we get pay apps, we're just gauging them against that line item. If it's slightly higher, slightly lower, it's fine, because we know that that's part of what the balance of using a cost plus is. Sure. All right, it's the idea that the owner adds an outlet over here. He's not going to get charged the flat $125 rate to put in a new outlet, because at the time when we made that adjustment, the guys are already doing all the wiring and setting the boxes and all that kind of stuff. So they might say it added 
0.15 hours of labor and three dollars worth of material. So instead of it being one hundred twenty-five dollars, it's seventeen bucks or something. Yeah, because right. we want to add one right next to where he's at right now. Yeah. So run a little extra wire, put a box there, and call it a day. Sometimes yeah. they don't even have to pay for that stuff if yeah. it's not if huge it's scope. Not, yeah. So it's wildly different between our private work, which is almost always uh, competitively bid for a single contractor. Sure. And that, yeah, yeah. That's a budget bid, right? We're not holding them. That's not a hard number. They yeah. say it's 1.2. We go thereabouts. Yeah. Because we'll pay actual book value plus their markup, you know, the general conditions and overhead. Mm-hmm. On commercial projects, it's a little different. So we have a job we're doing in San Marcos right now. That's one that has a shell building package and that has an interior package. And I'll tell you, we had a really, really thorough set of drawings. So for the shell building package, we sent out to five people. Same kind of thing. It was a it was a four week bid process. Sure. Sent it out to everybody. One guy dropped out in like a week. He looked at her and was like, "It's too much." He's for like, me. "I don't know." He's like, "I don't have the resources." Yeah. Right. Second guy dropped out in week four, which I wasn't happy about. Yeah, it was just too busy here. Couldn't get the numbers together. He's just like he says, "I'm not getting the response from myself." Yeah. So I was left with three people, and the high low delta. This was like a three and a half million dollar job. The delta between high bid and low bid was about $130,000. Which is pretty good. I pretty mean, tight. Yeah. It's like 3.5%. Yeah, so as long as you can keep it under 5% or 10% even, it's really good. I'm like, we're doing pretty good. And then once we actually vetted it down, it's like, oh, your number here is not right. And they're like, yeah, it is. I'm like, I'm telling you, it's not. And then they come and go, oh, yeah, you're right. It's not right. <laughs> yeah. It got, it got down to less than $100,000 total. So we ended up having to have a meeting with all of those people because at that point, we're not deciding who we're going to go with based on the number yeah because it's it's a rounding error yeah really yeah the delta between it's the three. negligible at that point sure. yeah because that hundred thousand dollar number i mean not well, that it's not a lot of money but it is a lot of money but yeah. but the delta between high and low i said was like a hundred it wasn't a hundred between one and two that was between the best one and, and three, worst. Yeah. so like the difference between one and two was like thirty thousand dollars yeah and then the difference between two and three was like seventy thousand dollars right so it came down to let's have the interview, let's meet with people, and we end up choosing the people we got a better vibe from. Quite honestly, that's how we chose it. Yeah, at some point that you, that's what it comes down to. I mean, in that situation, you gotta be like, look, we have you know a pretty good vibe going between each other, and this seems like I can manage this for the next year or whatever. Yeah. Right? You know, like I like that guy. Yeah, yeah, we seem to get along. I can make a year out of it. I want to talk about the distribution of the documentation done digitally. Since the vast majority of my career was we did a lot of residential, the first time I ever this is how old I am now. The first project <laughs> we did you, so old, was you had to we printed up like fifteen sets of drawings mm-hmm. in spec book. Yeah, the contractor had to come pay a deposit. Yes, with, of which was like one hundred and fifty dollars. Yes, to get the drawings in the spec book that they used for pricing, and then it was done when they were not successful. They gave the sets back to us, and you gave them their check back, and they gave their money back. Yeah, no, I remember doing that. You're not that old because I did that too for the first while on not just residential projects, but public projects. Well, now nowadays, I don't know if that's still true. The ones we do now, everything's distributed electronically. electronically. Sure, yeah, all of it, I think. I don't know. I get aggravated now where I have to submit plans for permit and I can't do it electronically. <laughs> well, they, yeah. Where they make me print out a set of plans, take it down to the city. I'm like, what is this, man? Yeah. I'm driving in my Fred Flintstone <laughs> car, you know, like, with my feet out of the bottom. Just, just to drop off a, your drawing. Yeah, just to drop off my drawing. They have a pterodactyl come in and yeah, exactly. get them from you. Yeah, the car. Like, this is ridiculous. 
there's certainly con- some convenience for distribution of the sure. documents done digitally. Yes. But here's one of the things I don't like about it. But it's scary, too. It's too easy to break the set apart. Yeah. Which a lot of times, we talked about this last night, was the ownership of the entire package. Hey, I'll give an example, because this is what we talked about last night. Same project, same Marcos. The structural engineering control joint pattern is slightly different than ours. Than the architectural. Than the architectural drawings. And so they called the day the contractor called. Great. Love that they called. Yes. Better than not To get a clarification. They said, they're not the same. Which one governs? I go, architectural. I mean, that's actually, whenever structural drawings are involved, I almost always say mine are going to be better. (laughs) But I said, ours govern. But knowing what was probably coming for me, I pulled Travis. Shout out to Travis. I pulled him aside and I said, I want you to overlay our pattern with the structural engineer pattern so we can see just how much of it is a duplication and how much of it is unique. Yes. Because I have no doubt that the contractor is going to come back to me and he's going to say, well, you got to pay me more because there were more lines than what the guy priced. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to say, what do you mean, contractor? They're in my drawing right there, here on the sheet right here. Yeah, where sheet, it has on sheet A one point something. something yeah, right? here yeah. it is. And they'll say, well, That's how? on S. He didn't look at that, the guy pricing the concrete work. He looked at the structural drawing. Sure. And I'm like, well, that's where you come in, Mr. Contractor yeah. or Mrs. Contractor, that your job is to coordinate these things. There was a period of time when, when these types of things were supposed to have been identified mm-hmm. and a clarification could have been made. Say, hey, we noticed that this doesn't look like that. But the problem is, is now that drawings are distributed digitally, the guys never have a chance to look at the whole set. The guy who priced well, the concrete work, you know, all he was given was the sheets from the structural. Yeah, maybe. If they were distributed, and or if, because the other thing I find is, right, they could get the whole set digitally. It's not a big deal, but they're still just going to go look at their part. That's right. And, we're, and it's incumbent upon the general contractor to try to do the oversight that says. For all that stuff. Hey, this drawing and this drawing, did you look at all of them? Not just like your bit, because your bit actually is shows up in other places. Mm-hmm. Where there's information about your work, your scope of work is not just in the structural drawings, right? Because. Yeah. Not even just to the control joint point, but to maybe even like, right, so if there's spots where there's finishes that need to be, you know, you've got to do a little recess here for this, or you've got to have shower pans, and it maybe not, doesn't show up on the Well, how do you even know that- Structural, right. That's you've right. got to get it there. You've got to look at something else. And how do you even know that they've got the spec book section for their set of drawings? Yeah. It's it's a bad thing. I mean, I don't know that that's any different. It was before when you were handed them out. It was still the same responsibility, but- it seems like it always now it seems so much easier, easier. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and the other thing that kind of can can be an issue with that is that okay, so we're in week four and bids are due that week, and my office will start the phones will start blowing up with <laughs> right, yeah. different subcontractors asking for a list of all the general contractors so they can submit their bid to not just the guy that asked them. But to everybody, mm-hmm. which you Any, go on the surface, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, no, no problem with that. Yeah. But the pattern is that we get those calls like on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and the bids are due that Thursday. So what that tells me is let's say that Billy Bob's tile sends his number to contractor one, two, three, and four. One was the guy that asked him, but two, three, and four didn't, but they don't get his number until the day that the bids due or the day before the bids due. They don't have time to qualify if Billy Bob's tile is, is right for the correct. Can, and yeah. did he actually, did you look at the Catch spec sections and, and did yeah, you look at yeah. not just the tile that's shown in floor plan, but on the elevations? 
Yeah. Like, did you look at all that stuff? Do you have everything in your number that's required? Do you have everything that's supposed to be there? They don't have the time to vet it. So I, I get that just like it's impossible for me to create a perfect set of documents. I anticipate that the contractor is going to miss some things along the way as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's impossible. Again, it's just impossible to not realize that that's going to happen. Well, that's why the saw cutting is a great example because we're going to look at the difference between the two. And I'm going to say, yes, you're right. It's not coordinated in my drawings and the structural engineer's drawings. You're correct in that. But you also missed it in your review and pricing of the scope of work. Yeah. So we both have some responsibility in this. I get why your concrete guy might not have missed it. But that's why I have you as the project supervisor. Is you own the entire project. He just owns the part that he thinks. I just need to look on these pages for mm-hmm. what I'm doing. Someone has to have ownership of coordinating all that scope of work on the job site. So you have some skin in this as well. So the idea then is we have a conversation to say, all right, well, how can we find something that's equitable? Because I don't expect to get something for free, but we could have solved this problem ahead of time and made a decision. Well, let's not do all the extra saw cut joints. Sure. Right. We can modify something and figure out a way to make it Because I don't like this price. You're you're telling me that you charge me for this. That's happening now. Yeah. That's happening now and not during the bid process. It's all reactive. And let's try to be a little more proactive. Yeah. So I don't like that. Yeah. And then the other thing is when we do, and again, I haven't done an open bid in a long time, but when we have an invitation to bid and the drawings go out into these plan rooms that allows all these, like contractor, I don't put them in the plan room, but I'll give them to a contractor and he will so that all his subs can get access to them. Mm-hmm. Well, general contractors find out that there's a job and then they start calling and saying, hey, I want to bid this job. Mm. We have to say, no, this is an invitation to bid only. No, you are not qualified. I don't know. Maybe they would be qualified, I know, right? but, yeah. but I haven't qualified them. Yeah. The, well, and it's just. Maybe a, that was your point, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. It's okay. Look, we could keep talking about this on and on and on. It kind of can get into a deeper and deeper dive. But I think For the sure. next big part that we really would want to get into is on the project delivery methods, which we're saving for another podcast because. That's a whole another ball of wax. I don't want this to be a two-hour podcast. Exactly. It could right. be. So I'm going to say that's really kind of a 30,000-foot view of how that bid process works. So I'm going to go ahead and state the obvious and say that if you want to have a project successfully bid, regardless of any of the methods that you choose that we've talked about today, it all comes back to the quality of the documentation. It seems really obvious to me. That that would be a true true statement, rather? It, it is, but that's one of the hardest things, I think, to sell as an architect is the quality of your documentation. Well, because people don't understand it until they see it. Yeah, but that's the most important part. Well, the more accurate and thorough the drawings and specifications are at the time of bid, the more accurate that bid's going to be. Exactly. If they're not having to guess to cover it up with a number, they know what it's supposed to be, then they can accurately put a price to it. Yeah, so that's the that's the bow on the conversation. Exactly. Good drawings. You can choose almost any different method that you want. Some might be more intuitively built into, like you wouldn't working do it for this way. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. do it for this. I'm method not doing an method, open but, bid on a yeah. residential project, but I would if I'm doing a school building yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Okay, so it's time because we're running along. It's time for my very favorite part of the episode, and in this case, we're going with an, a hypothetical today. Always the hypothetical. I love the hypothetical. Because we have no spare time. Well, we do, but since we're recording this one so far out, my spare time will be something that I was doing a month ago by the time this gets released. So (laughs) This is true. So we're going to do the hypothetical. So here's the question for today. 
if you had a superpower, what superpower would it be? And could you avoid using that superpower for evil? Evil. Evil. And is it really evil? Or we're just saying sort of a an overly super selfish deed. Well, considering that we're not demons are not involved in this. Yeah. I'm going to say evil is contrary to the public good. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been I still been trying to rack my brain about like what what I would want to be. And I finally decided I think for my own good, for my own good, my superpower should be super speed. Like like you can run fast? Like I could get run fast or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Or, may, or maybe if it's teleportation, I'm not sure. Because I'm always late, right? So I feel like I should I should do something that I can make up for that so that I know that like well, then I, if, I'm going to be late. If that's it, then you got to teleport because you don't want to be like carrying your briefcase and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So running. then it's teleportation then. Yeah. Do you ever worry and about it? Will you ever worry about like teleporting into a wall? Yeah, right. I would think that would be a hard thing with Because te- in the comic books, don't they have it to where they only teleport to places they can see so that like they have to be able to visualize it in their mind so they don't like teleport half into the fireplace and half out of the fireplace? Maybe so. I mean, there have to be some rules involved with my teleportation. Yes. Cause, but I mean, I can't. I just have to. Superpowers have rules. Yeah. Well, I don't have to picture it, I guess. You have to picture where you're going to be. Okay. So you can teleport. So I can teleport. And I would be so happy with that because I could teleport all over. Yeah. And eventually... I'd still probably be late, but I can do it, you know. Less. Less. <laughs> right. Okay. I would be seconds late. Okay. So let's, let's, now let's talk about your evil tendencies. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that would be, but I figure at some point, yeah, I might be really tempted to teleport myself into a bank vault. <laughs> Right, I can picture You're myself. Like, wow, you know, I haven't inside a bank vault. I haven't gotten the last couple of uh, projects I was going for, and exactly. things are getting a little tight. Yeah, I'm just I gonna just pop inside this vault. Just take, just take enough, c- not a all of it. Stacks. Yeah, yeah, right. A couple of stacks of bills, and then it's a teleport victimless out. crime. Exactly, it's all insured by the FDIC, as <sighs> they say. Poof. So yeah, I think. Um, but I mean, I can I can think of a lot of other things I could probably do too with that whole teleportation thing, but. Yeah, because here, okay, so let's pretend now, like, do people learn that you can teleport? Oh, that would be terrible. I hope not. Well, you know, you're just showing up. Like, someone eventually, unless you're popping into closets and stepping out of closets, you know, to get to where you need to be, someone's going to see you doing it. Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. That would be, I think that would be the trick, right? Yeah, because let's let's imagine that this is what's going to happen. Let's say that I know you can teleport. Well, you might start saying, well, I could hold on to you and I could teleport you to shanghai instead of you having to pay four thousand dollars to fly there and spend 15 hours or 16 hours so for for half that much money i'll hold on to you and i'll teleport you there yeah that would that i go that would be like the gateway (laughs) the gateway drug step that you would take to making money yeah without having to do a lot of work right you're going to try to leverage your superpower into making a better life for yourself i think that's yeah, but I don't think that's inherent. evil, right? That's okay. No, gateway. And then <laughs> the you're gateway. like, then you're going to start going, why do I even got to mess with these people? I why should just, I take anybody? I'm just going to teleport into the where the money is. I just pop in right there, take the money, pop back out. I don't need to. Yeah. No one has to know. Exactly. And see, but my thing is I would be smart about it, right? I would, If I could do it. Would you be smart about I it? I would be so intelligent about it. I would pop into like different banks. And only take like a little bit at each one, right? And if you did that once a month, then that's how I got my salary. <laughs> that was my job. Pop in one day for a bank and take just a little bit. Take a little bit to the other bank. 
and then it just you take a thousand dollars a week. Yeah, something right. Just well, the trick would be from all these different banks, though, right? And so, well, here's the trick: you how would, they're going to miss a thousand dollars? You would pop into a bank, take a thousand dollars, and then instantly pop to a movie theater to buy a ticket, and then they'll go. We think you stole that money. You're like, oh, no, I, I was in the movie. I bought this ticket. Yeah, right. right. Here it is. Here's my. You got record of it. Yeah. So I think eventually, you're stealing money. <laughs> That's where we've gone. Yeah, probably. You're going to become a criminal. Maybe for sure. Maybe, maybe. I, although you know, and again, I think I could use it for other stuff too. But my tw- the twelve year old me would use it for a lot of different things than steal the money. But <laughs> candy, yeah, <laughs> you'd be stealing candy, yeah, or whatever. You know, I think that would be the one. I think if I've thought about it enough, teleportation would be the thing. I would okay, do. that's not. And a bad eventually, one. yes, I probably would use it for my own. A definite own gain that was probably not through legal means. Yeah, you wouldn't be the superhero like I'm using my teleportation powers for good. You're like good for Andrew. Yeah. Well, because I was thinking earlier, if I had super speed, I'd like rig the lottery so that I could get, I'd make the balls match my numbers, <laughs> right? And they just wouldn't see just it. Pop in and out yeah, so just, fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, right. that's yeah, it's stealing. It's criminal behavior. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I'm so bad. And you're yourself? Bad. Let's talk about you. Let's see. How saintly you are with your superpower. You're about to be choice. embarrassed Uh-oh, on okay. this. So okay. I think my superpower, I always go kind of back and forth on a couple of them. Because you know, when you have a little kid, I have a little daughter. Well, she's not so little anymore. But when Kate was younger, we used to play this game all the time because she was really into superheroes. And I think I decided that invisibility, because I chose invisibility <laughs> as my superpower. I feel pretty invisible most of the time, so it's okay. No, here's why. It's the you getting caught having a superpower and the government like locking you down and putting needles in your brain for the rest of your life so that they can figure out how you do what, what you I do. What I do, yeah. Right, so I kind of go, whatever superpower I have, I'd want to not ever be caught having had that superpower, right? Like I could go into the men's room, go invisible, come out, and no one knows. That is the, like I don't have to ever get caught being invisible. The problem with that is there's really, like, what are you going to do with that skill? Except rob and steal. <laughs> <laughs> Except do the same thing that you do with teleportation. It's almost the same. Because, again, if they had me stuck down with needles, I'd just teleport out. Boof. Gone. No, see, the, the premise is they'd have, like, you know, the, whatever the thing that kept, like, kept your powers at bay. Well, they could do the same for you. No, they, the idea is that no one ever knows I'm yeah. invisible. Okay. Whether or not there's, come on. <laughs> Are you saying that my this is preposterous? My as I describe my invisibility skills, well, uh, uh, that they're so much better than my teleportation skills That's is where right. I'm taking yeah. you know well, taking issue. I'm just saying that because I got caught like instantly. Somebody's going to know I'm teleporting, but nobody's going to know they're invisible. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Well, you did, well we talked about you're not teleporting in and out of closets. I could be. Well, yeah, but you don't know. Like, can you imagine that many closets around wherever <laughs> you want to go? I can imagine a lot of closets. Somebody comes up and goes, I want to go to Singapore. And you're like, oh, I don't know any closets in Singapore. Well, I don't even know. I just Google search and do some street view or something. I'm going to show up in an alley. Yeah, and I go see, and you're like, there's CCTVs there where you're going to get caught. Whereas oh, I'm invisible. At I some point, sh- somebody's going to see you be invisible. Mm-mm. Unless every time you turn invisible, you're in the bathroom. It's going to no be CCTVs. It's going to be like they're watching the screen. And they're going to see me disappear. And they're going to hit the side of the TV thinking there's a glitch. (laughs) They're going to turn away at just the right moment 
and they're going to rub their eyes and go, exactly. something happened. Yeah, and right. then go, oh, it's So, yeah, right. I, I wouldn't get caught. You're almost instant. <laughs> okay, apparently. <laughs> I never get this caught. This is how it works. Okay. Yeah, but so nice. I, I go, all right. This so sounds so much like real life. I'm always getting <laughs> caught, and you're not. That makes so sense. I have, so I have this ability now to be invisible. What do I do with this? And I'm like, I go eavesdrop. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, right, what yeah. do I do with that? Yeah, yeah. Or I go into the jewelry store and I go, wow, my instant thoughts with my superpower are to go steal <laughs> corporate secrets and jewels. And I go, that's not how I am in person. But, but in, in my, yeah. instantly in my, my superpower fantasy, I'm a criminal. <laughs> I think that's sort of, maybe that's inherent. I don't know. Yeah. So I go. Like, uh, to the humans, right? Let's say like, you're oh. super strong. What would you, would you like? You're like, I can't find cars to lift off of babies all day oh, every day, day. Yeah, yeah. so what i'm gonna do with all my super strength go rip open that safe <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna break open atm machines yeah yeah my so own. i go that's i go any super skill you have like if you have the ability to mentally tell other people make people do stuff you're like mentally open that bank vault <laughs> exactly right mentally make this deposit 10 million dollars not 10 dollars right yeah that's right Mentally add a couple more zeros. zeros to that check. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure that there's any. I mean, I'd really like to hear somebody say, this would be my superpower. And it would only be like, you couldn't use it for ill gain. Rabbit hole aside, teleportation. And apparently I'm going to get caught. Instantly. Invisibility and you're a free man. That's but, right. But we know. both, we both. But turned we both to, be robbing stuff to a life of crime. We yeah, both yeah. turned to the dark side the almost instantly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 20, The Bid Process. We'd also like to thank Pella for sponsoring today's episode. Please take the next 30 seconds and head on over to iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast so you get fresh new episodes automatically downloaded to your podcast player of choice. While you're there, please leave us some feedback as we'd really like to hear your thoughts on the show and a five-star, did you include that in your bid rating? If iTunes isn't your player of choice, we're also available on Google Play, tuned in, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and a bunch of other platforms. They're all free, and all you have to do is hit the subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, and infos from this episode. Also, be sure to stick around until the very end, and we might reward you with our version of a blooper reel. Thanks so much for tuning in. Cheers. Take it easy, everybody. If you want to, uh, like... Like when I make a joke. <laughs> Is that a joke? We have a pretty good rapport. Rapport. Yeah. <laughs> My mouth is so dry. Distribution of the documentation done digitally. Try saying that. Exactly. That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Of D's. Yeah. Right. That's inappropriate. So we kind of walked you through. Yeah, sure. The entire process from start to beginning, some of the variations that happen. From start to beginning? Start to finish. Did I say beginning? You said start to beginning. From the start to the very beginning. Yeah. That's... We're going to be here for you. After that, forget yeah, it. Most people start at the beginning. <laughs> Me, I start before the beginning. Okay. Let's see. And then we move on to the finish. There you go. What if your skill was like super genius? You just make money just because you were smart, right? You wouldn't, like, figure out how to feed homeless people? Well, yeah, that too. I guess you should try to house homeless people, not feed them.
Bob is taking a break. He can't stop coughing, so he's going to get something to ease his coughing fit. <coughs> Are you sure you shouldn't have gotten a lozenge? It'd be all like... Yeah, it's fine. 